Now put your notes down for a minute. I want to introduce tonight's teaching and nothing I'm saying is in your notes. It was just something on my mind. <clears throat> I'm going to take about six or seven minutes. I'll take it out of my teaching time. Don't, don't worry. Do you remember years ago, maybe 20 years ago, Rini and I had gone down to Jack Hayford's pastor's conference, autumn leadership conference, uh, went into one of the evening sessions, went up into the balcony because we got there just about five minutes after it started, and a woman got up, an invited guest on the platform that I guess Jack Hayford had invited, heard. She was uh, an actress in background, converted, and stood up on the platform, huge auditorium, big balcony, spotlights, and she recited, by memory, the entire book of Revelation. The whole thing. And she's a dramatic, much more drama in it than you would get just reading the book of Revelation. And, and so as she was going through this thing, going through the whole book, and she came to some places where it's, the imagery was so incredibly graphic, especially some of the images of God judging the wicked and blood up to the bridle of the horses and all of this. And, and she's going through all this. And I can remember leaning over to Rini and, and just kind of being a wise guy. And I said, I, I think she's taking some license with it. I don't, I don't think that's in the text quite that pungently. So we got back into the hotel, and I got out my Bible, and sure enough, everything she had said was right there. But I found it hard to digest. And tonight's text is like that. Tonight's text is like that. You feel like there ought to be a PG in the margin or something just for the, the, the strength of it, the abruptness of it. And so I was thinking about this this afternoon, and it's one thing to have... See, here, here, here's what happens. We, you, you form an image of God. And this isn't bad. We all do it. I'm not, I'm not stating a problem here. I'm just telling you the way a process works. We sing a lot of worship courses. We pay for those. Worship is, it's an industry. It's a, it's a hundreds of millions of dollars a year industry. All the songs that you see up here that we sing tonight and every time, those aren't free. You pay for a license. And then you're allowed to use those songs. The more people that use the songs, the more money they make. So, Think about the kind of songs that you're likely to get. And you form an image of God, and this isn't a bad thing. We sing about God's grace and God's love, and I'm in favor of it, and I sing all of them, love them. But you form a picture of God based on the kind of songs, hymns and songs, that you sing in a church service. You, you construct an image of God without meaning to, 
It just happens. An image of God forms. And then you read a passage like we're going to read tonight, and all of a sudden it doesn't, it doesn't fit with that image that I formed. Because what we're going to read about in a minute doesn't feel quite the same as that song, and I love the song. We sang it this morning. Your goodness is running after me. And then you're going to read tonight's text, and you're going to think, whoa, wow. When, when God speaks and speaks in such a way that feels different from the image I've constructed of him from the style of the worship that we have, how, do I, how am I going to put these things together? Do you see what I'm talking about? You, you need, the answer isn't there's anything wrong with this, because there isn't anything wrong with this. The answer is simply you need to, to bring in these things so, so that you're giving God his due weight in revealing himself however he chooses to be revealed. Not just forming a picture of God by an industry that's designed to make money. So we're going to come to this text. And don't say I didn't warn you. Malachi chapter 2 verses 1 to 9. I want to talk about... Now, this... Uh, you would, if you were not reading right through a book... You wouldn't choose this text, I don't think. It's a stern text. If it's any comfort to you, it's a lot sterner with me than it is with you because it's particularly a passage about spiritual leadership, people, but especially leadership. So whatever you're feeling, I'm feeling it a lot more when we read this text. All right? So... Buckle up. Malachi 2.1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. They're pronouncing blessings. It's going to be good. Live your best life now. You know, that kind of stuff. All positive. And God says, I'm, I'm going to curse your blessings. They're not going to pan out the way you think. I have already cursed them because you, you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces. How do you like that? You're not going to sing many worship choruses. And I will spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offerings, and you should be taken away with it. Now, I know I kind of made a little giggly thing out of it. But there's this graphic picture of, well, waste. Do you see what, do you see what God's trying to say there? Something offensive that they're doing, only they don't see it as offensive. So God, how will he word it so they're going to just feel, oh. So it's not a joke what God is doing here. He's trying to paint a picture that, that will make them see something a lot more strongly than they're seeing it. 
graphic because nobody saw the problem that God was trying to describe, especially the leaders. Four. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. I'll talk about that too. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. All of the priestly order was going to be of the tribe of Levi, Levites. We're going to look at why in a little bit. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But, but you have turned aside from the way, the priests. You've turned aside. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. There's certain things that I give you that you'll say, and there's other things that you know aren't going to fly very well with the people, and so you just choose not to share those things. You certainly don't need to read a text like this. It isn't going to make people feel good on a Sunday night. It's another passage that's primarily addressed to the priests, the spiritual leaders, the sins that are growing among the people. They have a source. They didn't just happen. Malachi says the fundamental problem is that the leaders, those who should be listening to God, mature, honest, upright, they no longer truly honor God. That's what it says. They have taken to the pursuit of success and acceptance. I explained a bit of the background last week. The people, because they're back in the land, but it's relatively new. Uh, the economy isn't a bursting economy. They're supposed to bring perfect sacrifices from their livestock, but that's getting harder and harder to do. And so they bring uh, unacceptable offerings, whatever is diseased or lame and probably isn't going to live long anyway. They bring it, and the priests, who know better, they cater to this because, well, it will keep the people happy and keep them coming to the temple. Somehow, whatever point, the, the leaders have lost the childlikeness and simplicity before God. They're defensive. Remember last week, I don't know if you were here, how have we dishonored you? How have we not listened to you? And they don't see it. They've gotten used to it. Okay, point number one. First, God gives a lesson on how his word is to be heard in the heart. It's in those first two verses. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because, and here's the same phrase, you do not lay it to heart. Lay it to heart. 
It kind of seems at first glance that God's missing the real problem. It's the people who are corrupting the worship with their blemished, faulty sacrifices. Must have been somewhat of a temptation on the part of the priest to say, why, why are you coming to us? We're not offering the sacrifices. The people are bringing in the sacrifices. But God goes to the source of their corrupt worship. The people are bringing those sacrifices to me because you're letting them. They don't respect the truth because you haven't taught them to respect the truth. You're telling them everything's fine. You want to keep them all happy. You don't want to be on the outs with the people. And so you're partial in giving the truth to the people. Leaders don't like appearing out of step with the times. Notice those words, verse 2. You do not lay it to heart. So here's the situation. Now think about this. The priest and the people, they're, they're going through sacrifices. They're meeting in the temple. They're doing the things that they're sort of supposed to be doing. And God says, priest and people, they've all forgotten how to listen to God. Something in that just frightens me. Something in that frightens me. You you can go through certain steps, do certain good things, and they become habitual, and you get the routine. You know what you're supposed to do. I know how to preach sermons. You know how to listen to sermons. We do Christian ed classes. We do all sorts of stuff. And God says, but you don't, but you don't, hear me anymore. You don't lay it to heart. James talks about, I mentioned it in my Christian ed class this morning, meekly, humbly receiving the the engrafted word, which, which is able to save your souls. It's that hearing, listening, responding. Spiritual hearing doesn't happen in the eardrum. You don't lay it to heart. It happens in the heart. God's properly heard when I make my whole life line up with what he's saying. God is heard deep in the heart. I lay it to heart when I will not allow the influence of anyone else my own desire for success, approval, your financial gain or prosperity, when we won't let anything stand in the way of just what God is saying, that counts more than anything else. That's called laying it to heart. 2-2, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. So that second clause explains the first. Take it to heart. Give honor to my name. So listening means setting my whole heart to honor his names. The priests heard what God had said about worshiping him. They had properly understood what they were supposed to do. They had likely said, amen. That's what we do when we kind of show we're agreeing with something. 
but they hadn't made sure God's words were carried out. They stalled, they delayed, they made excuses. And so God says they didn't listen at all. That's the leaders doing their thing without hearing God anymore. So there's a life lesson right here. Maybe the first one. Hearing God means hearing him first. It means putting his words first. It means placing them over and above my desire for acceptance or popularity or position. Everyone listens deeply to someone or some inner voice. Everyone has a voice, a desire, an ambition that rules. If it isn't God, then it's an idol. Point number two. So now, the effect. They really aren't taking it to heart. They're trying to keep each other happy. The people are trying to do what they can afford to do, what they think they can do while securing their own lives. The priests don't want to irritate the people, so they've tailored the message somewhat downgraded from what God had initially said. Nothing looked all that serious, but God was really angry about it. So the effect of not properly hearing God's word, and this is where you get into these verses. Malachi 2, 2 to 3, and then verse 9, just to kind of save some time. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, they don't have to. They don't have to. But if you don't, if you don't, Take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of hosts, and I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces and dung on your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. 2.9. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So God underscores one of the principles of life in his kingdom. It's the way his rule works itself out in our lives. It sounds hopelessly out of date and hopelessly superstitious. Where God talks about this idea of curse. God will not allow those who profess him to prosper indefinitely in any form of rebellion known to his will. It's one of those mark it down and remember it all your life passages. God does chastise those he loves. It's not a mean rule of God. God's firm correction comes from his loving heart, and he loves me too much to leave me bound in self-interest. He loves the world too much to deprive them as of a full-blooded witness to the lordship of Jesus and what it looks like, someone who takes his truth to heart. We need to remember these things because the prophet then uses this old word that we don't hear much anymore. It sounds kind of loveless or dated. He uses that word curse. Do you see it? He uses it twice to describe God's response to a life that's phony, that's, that 
preens in front of the people like it's honoring God, but inside isn't honoring him. It's not a bad word, though. It just, it, it's there to remind me, this isn't for the people out in the world. This is for me, primarily, in this text, and us, collectively, in Christ's church. God's not passive. God, God is not passive about how we treat his will and way. He cares deeply about it. He's loving and gracious and good, too loving and gracious and good to allow me to persist in self-rule and rebellion and self-deception. He will wake me up one way or another. The writer to the, the Hebrews says he, he chastises those he loves. There's this wake-up call. I will curse your blessings, two, two. Two things God's going to do. Curse your blessings, two, two. And he says, rebuke your offspring. This is what he's going to do. So that's Malachi 2, 2, just so you know, I'm not making it up. And then I will rebuke your offspring. That's in verse three. So here's the two things. A. This failure to listen deeply to God, it it can't be whitewashed away or glossed over or ignored. I will curse your blessings. I think it's worded that way because what the leaders, the priests, were trying to do was to put a, a positive spin, a positive message in front of the people. Does that sound familiar to you at all? In the body of Christ at large? priests would pronounce blessings on the people that the the priests weren't honest about and the people didn't deserve. Does it matter? Well, they did it because people love blessings. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon. People love that. Not so nuts about cursings. If If you want them to come, You better just find ways of keeping it up. Upbeat, positive. And you can't help but feel the weight of just that stark contrast, eh? I will, I, I will curse your blessings. Cursing blessing? I will curse your blessings. This is God's way of saying that sin and rebellion won't be rinsed away by some smooth benediction or a religious slogan or nice song. Pour out all the empty words you want. Paint it as positively as you like. God says, if, if, you're, if you're not listening to me, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this next sentence. If you're not listening to me, all your blessings are about as attractive to me as dung. Wow. Pastor Don, that's a little rough. Why are you beating us up on a Sunday night? And I'm not trying to be faithful just to the words that are in the text. 
But you would not believe, and I'm not speaking just for myself, I'm sure the rest of the staff could say the same thing. You would not believe over the 40 years that I've been in this church, but 47 years of ministry, you would not believe the number of times Christians will sit and talk to me about some flat-out rebellion in their life and find a positive way to word it, where gossip just becomes, call it food for prayer. I've had people justify adulterous, immoral relationships by saying, if I sleep with someone, I'm married in the eyes of God. After all, Adam and Eve didn't have a minister marrying them. I've had people justify just silly, sinful habits. And when you criticize them, they just look at you and call you a legalist and talk about their freedom in Christ. We do find ways of just blessing, 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 blessing. It's all good. I said there were two thoughts. Here's the second one. God says he would would rebuke their offspring. That's in verse 3. Still with me? Three, rebuke. Their, that word offspring, it's interesting. In the Hebrew, it's literally the, the word for seed. And what that means is scholars who major in, in the original languages, and it's, they're right. They're not sure which way the word should go. Is it seed, like a seed in the ground, corn, grain? Others say it's no seed. NIV takes it to be the seed, like the seed of Abraham, a descendant. So either, but either way, it's really not that different. Whether, whether the meaning of seed there is like the crops that feed them and put food in their stomach or offspring, the descendants, what's being talked about in either case is something that's necessary for the ongoing survival. You can't live without food. And your future dies out when you die without some kind of offspring. It's, it's the future. Security. And there's something awfully important, too important to miss. What would make, what would make a highly trained and instructed priest think that he could suddenly reinvent God's rules of sacrifice and worship? What makes sins that are so obviously wicked so easy for intelligent people to commit? I mean, that's a red-hot issue that this ancient text is dealing with. And the simple answer is, well, they were making something work. The people were happy. The crowds were coming. The energy seemed positive. Because people were buying into it, the situation didn't look that bleak. The people were more content. The priest's message was more inviting. Crowds were improving. Enter God. If you choose to disregard me, you can continue planting your own ideas and decisions. You can make up your own rules. But there will be seed. There will be nothing abiding or fruitful in this. It's not going to last. This is not going to deliver what you think it's going to deliver. Three, almost done. In contrast to the compromising people and the compromising priesthood, there's this 
paragraph in there, four, five, and six, about the Levites. I said I want to talk about that before we wrapped up. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Question. Why would God choose Levi and the Levites? What was so special about them? You might not know the story. I'm not going to take the time to read it. I just decided now. It's, it's, have you got that reference in your notes? Yeah, you can, you can read it all. Here's the deal. Remember up on the mountain, Moses, Joshua... Remember at the foot of the mountain, the Israelites, the golden calf, Aaron, get all the jewelry, throw it into the fire. This is the story they give. We threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And the people are worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. Moses comes down, busts the Ten Commandments. They're furious. Grinds up the idol of gold and makes the people drink it. But that's not the end of the story. Do you know what happened next? Moses, Joshua, the leaders, they, they call out and say, who's going to stand with us on the Lord's side? And Levi and his descendants step out from the crowd. And they come and they stand with Moses and Joshua. Not really the end of the story. I'm hesitant to tell you the end of the story. God says to Levi and his descendants, Go through and find those who instigated this idolatrous worship. Take the sword and destroy them. Did you know that's how the priesthood was born? (laughs) And they go through and they kill all the idolatrous people. I'll tell you why that bothers us. And it does. We, We read that and we think, this is why, well, never mind. Dawn. This is why some prominent writers, many of them, say that 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 stuff in the Old Testament, you don't have to buy it. It's not true. And I'll I'll tell you the problem. The reason we have trouble with the Levites being commanded by God to do that is because we think physical violence is a worse sin than idolatry, and God doesn't. We think physical violence is a worse sin than idolatry, and God doesn't. He views idolatry as the ultimate sin. But anyway, this is how all the Levites, this is how the priesthood was born. That verse 26 is sheer beauty. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. They, they, they were prepared to stand out from the whole crowd. What did people think? They didn't care. What would people say about them? Didn't matter. Who's on the Lord's side? No matter what. No matter what I'm called to do, I'm on, I lay it to heart. God's call on my life. They chose God over the rest. Notice 
it wasn't like anybody was forbidden to come and stand. It's just nobody else wanted to. They were prepared to step out of the crowd and respond. Last point, two tests of a spiritual heart. Verses 7 to 9. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. I, I like that word guard. It's not just proclaim knowledge. Not just proclaiming the truth. Guard means exposing error. That's how you guard truth. You have to identify error. You have to say things that aren't popular. This, this person, this prominent person, this media personality, the author of this book, you have to help people to see where error is if you're going to guard knowledge. Not just proclaim knowledge, guard it, protect it. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge. The people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, you've turned aside from the way. Don't ever want to hear that from the Lord. You've turned aside from the way. I can't think in my lifetime of an era where more leaders and more churches are just turning aside from the way. More leaders and more churches are just turning aside from the way, and they're doing it because the culture is turning that way, and if you want to build a church quick, you better, you better, you better relate. You've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. Here's close. Priests should stay grounded in what God has said. You don't need my opinion on anything. And if what I'm showing you doesn't come out of this book, I'll tell you right now, you don't have to listen to it. And you should have, I think you've heard me say once or twice in this church, I hope you have your Bible with you. Why do you think that is? Because I want you sitting there when I'm talking about verse 47, I want your finger under verse 47. And if I'm saying something that isn't in verse 47, I need you to know that's not what verse 47 says or whatever verse it is. So they don't turn from the way. They guard the truth. Stay grounded in what God has said. We, we all find the pleasure of a certain crowd, the love and laughter of friends, the approval of business associates, the admiration of colleagues. Someone, you're like me. There's going to be something that is a great pull in your life away from the word of God and what rules. So priests should stay grounded in what God has said. Be People should watch their appetites. God says the people should, verse 7, do you see it? Right there in verse 7. The people should seek instruction. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. They should seek instruction from his mouth. How many Christians do you know who come to the end of the Lord's Day and say to you, gee, I wish there were four services there. I just want more from God's Word. People should seek it, crave it. We know what the psalmist said about God's word, more to be desired than gold. Think of the things people will do this week for money. The people should seek 
knowledge from the word. And priests, they should make sure they declare it. Let's pray.